tells a story and sooner or later your life catches up with you. I did a wedding yesterday. It was a very fun and interesting wedding. The, uh, the ring bear was a dog, a dog named Coco. And, uh, and, and this dog had to, had to get down the aisle and get to me. Uh, right before the service started, uh, they told me the dog would not actually have the rings, uh, but he was just going to be symbolic. Uh, but they wanted me to make sure I, I did a fake grab for the rings. So here I am in my, in my clerical robes, and they're telling me, make a fake grab for the rings when the dog comes down. And I'm just kind of looking around. I can't even believe I have to do this. So the dog comes down the aisle, and, uh, and I'm going to make my fake grab. When I remember what the, what the groom said to me in the, in the vestibule area of this old Episcopal church over on the other side of town, because it didn't make sense when he said it. Because he's going to get married and his bride's going to come down the aisle. He's in the back room with me and he goes, man, I just hope we practice and practice. I just hope she doesn't tinkle all the way down the aisle. <laughs> it made sense all of a sudden. Okay. So it was the dog. All right. So, um, so, so I do the fake grab for the dog and I, I do the fake. I told the, the father uh, of the groom, I said, I will have to give you the fake handoff. This guy's an attorney in Raleigh. He looked at me like, what? I said, I have to do the fake grab. I'm going to give you the fake handoff. So he said, okay. So I did the fake handoff to him, and we sort of winked at each other. And so, you know, it was just, it was just, just a crazy time. But at the reception, I realized why God had put my life at that crossroads of that wedding. Because I had to face up to my past. I had to fess up to my sin I had to go face to face and toe to toe with this man. So the mayor, Will Sessoms, was at the was at the reception, and he saw me from across the room, and I saw him, and I started walking toward him. He started walking toward me, and he said, "Traffic violator." <laughs> He said, you were driving somebody else's car. I didn't know the mayor kept such detailed notes on my life. You know, so then we had a little talk and, and we sort of made peace. And I'm actually the, the new official commissioner of traffic safety for Virginia Beach. It's just a volunteer position, but I feel a little better. And, and we did had a little ceremony there with the mayor putting his hand on me. But what was really fun was to talk to Will Sessoms about Spring Branch. And he's kind of watched us over the years. And, and he had so many nice things to say about the positive role that we get to play in the community. And he just wanted everybody to know that. And then please vote for him next time. <laughs> I like Will. Every life tells a story. This is the story of Starbucks. On February the 26th, 2008, customers at 7,100 Starbucks stores in the United States were asked to leave the store. They were escorted to the door. 
The act was unprecedented. Three days would pass before Starbucks would open again. Starbucks, you see, was going down. They had kind of lost their way. Stock was on a slide. People just weren't sure about the vision anymore. And Howard Schultz, who had been the first owner and CEO of Starbucks, realized that he had to come back and he had to do something. In his book, Onward, he writes, there are moments in our lives when we summon the courage to make choices that go against reason, against common sense, and the wise counsel of people we trust. But we lean forward nonetheless because despite all the risks and rational argument, we believe that the path we are choosing is the right and best thing to do. We refuse to be bystanders, even if we do not know exactly where our actions will lead. This is the kind of passionate conviction that sparks romances, wins battles, and drives people to pursue dreams others wouldn't dare. Belief in what is right catapults us over hurdles and our lives unfold. Life is a sum of all your choices. Our actions forge our futures. Howard Schultz, CEO, Starbucks. Every life tells a story. Let me tell you Noah's story. Genesis chapter 6. But Noah, his name means comfort. But Noah found favor, literally in Hebrew, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. And there's so many stories in the Bible that, that we lift out of the pages that, that are ancient. And yet we can feel the very heartbeat of that person. We can, we can see the unfolding drama of the story. But sometimes, sometimes you need a little bit more than just the verbal to remember and understand some of these biblical characters that stand so large in history. And so uh, I did some research. I found out that when they discovered the, the Dead Sea Scrolls in the, in the late 40s outside of Jerusalem in the Qumran community, there was also a large clay jar in the back that had some ancient video. So watch this ancient video here as I begin to read the story. So you can get, kind of helps you to understand what Noah was like and what he was going through. Yes, even Noah had to take a break once in a while. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. That means just. Blameless among the people of his time. Literally having integrity in his lifetime. And he walked with God. So God says, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Now that word ark is borrowed from the Egyptian language. It actually means a palace. Make yourself a seaworthy palace. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Our word ark that we use to describe this vessel is from the Latin 
Arca has nothing to do with the Hebrew. It was translated in what we call the Vulgate. Uh, the Catholic Church put the Old Testament into, uh, into Latin a long time ago. And so the word Arca then became Ark. And it just means a box. And it was a very, very big box. 45 feet, 450 feet long. 75 feet wide. 45 feet high. Make a roof for it. And finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. And to put some scale to this, the Cuddy Sark is a three-masted clipper that was launched in 1869. And you've probably seen pictures of it on office walls. You may even have had a picture of it in your home at one time. It was 1,200, it was 212 feet Long, the ark, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, in proper dimension and balance to the way ships are built even to this very day. But then there's this, this verse, right at verse 22, Genesis 6:22, that kind of puts Noah's life right on the map for me. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And so it took about a hundred years for this ark to be built. And all this while he's, he's doing what God asked him to do. He's being the person that God asked him to be. Biblical scholars note that, that there are no speaking parts there for Noah. And yet he is a person with a vision and a passion for something. His life is telling a story. God chose him for three very specific reasons. He was righteous. Again, it means just, able to make wise decisions. He was blameless, and that does not mean perfect. It means mature. It means having a life of integrity, a life that's steady and stable. But those of you who have been in church a long time and those of you who were in Sunday school and you read a little bit past the rainbow, you remember a story that comes after that where Noah actually got drunk. And you go, well, how could he be blameless if he got drunk? And I say to you, uh, if you were on a big ship with a lot of animals for that long... You know, maybe you would have made a, a poor choice too with your life. So it's not that he was perfect, but he was, of all the people of his generation, he understood God and he understood faith and life and he understood what it meant to be a person that was steady as she goes. The winds of change were not going to sway him. People coming by decade after decade saying, Noah, you are absolutely out of your mind. These things did not sway him. Every day he got up. Every day he went back to the big box. You know, he was working on the first level. And then he was working on the second level. Then getting the third level done. Making sure the door got cut. The door had to fit just perfectly. He was righteous. He made wise decisions. He was blameless. He had integrity. And he walked with God. What I've learned about life. If you were to say, what have you learned? It's one of the biggest things you've ever learned. It's simply this. To get right behind wherever God is going, because it's the safest place to be, to get right behind God. If God's moving in direction, get behind that. 
direction, get behind him and follow him because he will take care of the details where there are questions. He will give you answers or you will experience something that you never thought possible to experience. You'll never see that. You'll never know that. You'll never feel it unless you're right there behind him. Noah walked with God. And so as I looked at the story, I thought, what is the story? What is Noah's story? And so often we, we think about the ark, the big box boat, and we think about the animals. Uh, you know, sometimes we might wonder, like, what was his family life like doing this together with his sons? And, and what did his wife think when he just kept going back to this vessel every day? And, and there was no sense, there seemed to be no sense to it. But I, I looked and I said, ah, the story of Noah is Noah. Noah is the story. He is a story unto himself. He was just and righteous and wise and he just wanted to walk behind God. He, in our language, he was bringing faith and life together each and every day. If it wasn't for him, where would we be? If it wasn't for a man that God could look at and say, I can save this man because he stands for everything that I created the, the earth for, everything that I created men and women for. Noah is the story. His life is the story. I sat down not too long ago and I thought, if I had to put life, if I had to just kind of line it out, what would it look like? And I, I came up with what I call the 12 musts of your life. I must figure out what the driving passion of my life is. I must figure out what the purpose of my life is. I must figure out what the, the meaning of life means. And what I'm trying to say there is uh, if you wait and wait for life somehow to show up and give you a script of the meaning of life, you will never get the meaning of life. It doesn't arrive that way. It's not discovered that way. You'll find out sooner or later that the meaning of life is very much tied to the meaning of your life, what you bring, what you give, what you're willing to do, how far you're willing to go, what you're willing to sacrifice for, how humble you're willing to be. I must figure out how to keep growing. And that's decidedly your responsibility. I must learn to manage my emotions, not to let my emotions manage me. I must learn to balance ambiguities, lots of ambiguities in life. Don Linscott has this son and he and his wife pour their lives into Lance. And in 21 years, they have a, a love and a grace surrounding this, this young man. And, and then he dies and the ambiguity sets in. Why, God? And what does this mean? And what, what's the purpose? I must figure out whom I can trust and who is safe. I must be shaped by love, conflict, and forgiveness. I must figure out what to invest my time and resources in. I must decide to know who I am and who I am not. I must write my eulogy with my life. Because in the end, that's all that can be said. Your life is telling a story. And finally, I must answer the God question 
which impacts everything else. I must answer the God question, who is God and how does he communicate to me and and what does that relationship look like and what do I do with my life and his will for my life? And, And what we believe about that changes everything else. It changes everything that you think right now about your life and your future and this church and the future of this church. It's all dependent not on what I say. If I say something that means something, it's tied to scripture, hopefully very tightly. And I'm here to remind you about things that have been true for thousands and thousands of years. What matters most is your answer to the God question, what are you willing to do when he puts his call upon your life? How far does he ask you to stretch? What is he asking you for? What's the purpose of your life? How do you keep growing? The Spring Branch story is to me just absolutely overwhelming. I still, to this very day, just wonder sometimes, God, Why'd you decide to do this with my life? You know, when I was a little kid, this is not what I thought I would be doing with my life. When I was an adolescent, this is not what I thought. When I was in college, this is not what I thought. And yet here we are. And uh, it's been 18 years now doing something that's different, that is creative, that is trying to reach across into secular culture and maintain the integrity of the sacred message of God showing up as Christ to bring the world back to himself. And here we are. And it's, you know, I kind of look at it a little bit sometimes like Howard Schultz was looking at Starbucks. You get to a place and you go, okay, time to refocus, time to recalibrate, time to kind of make sure that we're all together. And that's what here to there is about. It's a time to say, are we all together? One church, one vision. Do we all know about this future that God wants to give us as a gift? Here to there began in my mind in August of last year, when Bill Hybels, the senior pastor at Willow Creek Community Church at the Leadership Summit said, our job is to take people from here to there. And he talked about explaining that on a Sunday to people. And he goes, we're going from here to there. And he says, the next week he gets emails and phone calls. We don't wanna go there. We like it here. And then he thinks, well, maybe I have to say it louder. I have to say it with more passion. So he goes back in there and he knocks it out of the ballpark. He just, he just wraps his whole heart, mind, and soul around. He says, we're going from here to there. And he gets emails and phone calls. There, Schmer. We like it here. We don't want to go there. And so he talks about how unless you understand that all you really have is a there, there's never really a here. The truth is you're always going there. It's just... How well will you go there? With what vision will you go there? With what deciding passion will you go there? There is where God is calling us to greater things. There is where God's going to give us more opportunity to do more things, to to impact the world in a greater way than we ever thought possible. Here is good, but there becomes greater. And it all 
just takes a bunch of us sitting down and really thinking about that. Where, where there is, there are more families that are impacted for good in their lives for Christ's sake. Where there is, there are more students going on mission trips and understanding that life is just not about them. Where there is, there is more opportunity for adults to serve in ministry positions in the church. Where there is, there are more people coming at big times of the year like Christmas and and Easter and to the Leadership Summit and they're learning the ground rules for life and they're learning that their life really depends not on their own thought process but on the thought process of a God who knew them well before they were born. Where there is, there's clarity and excitement about the vision and the hope that the church is the hope of the world. Where there is, you are passing on to the next generation this church. And you're saying, here, take this gift of a church and do even greater things because that next generation will go from there to another there. There's always another there. Here is always a launching pad. Here is always, this is where we are, but it's not where we're going. Here is where God has done some things, but there is where God has not finished doing his work. Here is questions about how are we going to get there. There is seeing the revelation of God and how he took us there. And I've seen this right since the beginning when a few people went to an art center and then the art center suddenly filled up with people. And then we went to a school and suddenly, you know, when, when in the middle of looking for property, we gave up, this property was presented to us. And, and we didn't have anywhere near the amount of money to buy a piece of property like this. But God said, if you stay behind me, I will get you there. The here before this was a school. The here before this was an art center with about 400 people who said, we will step up and really be this church. And then out of God's grace, a gift of three quarters of a million dollars that was given anonymously, purchased this property for us as a gift so that we could have this. And this is here now, but this wasn't here a long time ago. This was just another there. God was taking us somewhere. And so I am am telling you the story, but there's another story. It's a story of one church and one vision where we have to do something that is almost imponderable, where we have to take care of the debt on these buildings and have ownership of these buildings so that we don't spend half a million dollars a year staying here, there we will do so much more. There, God can accomplish so much more through us. And I'm asking you today to do three things. To fall in love with God again. We get busy, we get doing so many different things. Um, The judgment that was brought to the church at Ephesus was that they had lost their first love. So I'm asking you to evaluate where you are with him and see if you're walking with him, right behind him. See if you're, you're building your life on integrity. See if you're building your life with passion and with justice. Uh, see if you're making wise decisions and, and that you're ready to love him again and serve him for whatever he asks of you. I'm asking you to fall in love with the church again. The church and all its brokenness, with all its, its warts. The church that's not a perfect place 
If you find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. Um, the church is, is the body of Christ and when the body of Christ functions the way it's supposed to function, it is magnificent fall in love with the church again and what it can be. Fall in love with the future again. Fall in love with there, what God can do, what God can bring, how God can surprise us and, and do over and above what we could ever hope or ask for. This was once there and we dreamt about it. There's another there to dream about today. And so here to there is an effort of all of us to pull together and to see what's in our hearts and to give back to God whatever he asks us to give. And it's exciting for me to announce to you this morning that about 40 church leaders and ministry leaders have already pledged over a million dollars to here to there. Over a million dollars. And let me tell you how that happened. The middle of the week, we had just over $400,000. On Friday, we were at $600,000 in the morning. And then sometime yesterday, we hit a million dollars. And this morning, we went over a million dollars. A million dollars out of the $8 million that we need. 40 people have said, God has put this in my heart. We're going to own these buildings. We're going to we're going to have freedom to do more and greater things. We're not going to have to pay half a million dollars a year to be here. And so I ask you to understand some numbers right now. There are 1,300 people that give to Spring Branch. And that could be any amount of money. So it's a, a wide group of people, wide-ranging group of people. We have 442 people, individuals or families that give over $500 a year to Spring Branch. So that's about you know, 40 to $50 a month. We have, and that can go all the way up to you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, over the course of the year. We have 276 people that give to the building fund of Spring Branch. And that's what we're using to pay for the buildings and pay the mortgage. And we need over 500. We need between five and 600. I'd love to have 700 people say, I want to own the future. I want to dream about what God can do if I become a part of this. So over 516 people need to be here to their ears to make this thing work. But with over a million dollars already in, and a 36-month giving period for here to there, I really believe that we cannot be stopped. We can do what seems impossible if we all say, God, how do you want me in on this? What do you want me to do? And so you have all the information right there and, uh, and a CD that Adam and I did with Carolyn Castlebury, which I ask you to just listen to on the way home. And then... Ask God, God, how can I help with this? What can I do? How can I be a part of, of a there that's big and wonderful that you want to give to this church? Because the truth is, it won't happen unless we all do it. It won't happen unless everybody gives something. We're even talking to our students about giving a dollar a week 
for 36 months, which comes out to $156 over three years. I really believe God's brought us to this time. I really believe God has given us the gift of this church to give way to the community. And the most important page in that little brochure that you have right now to me is when you look at that map and you see right where we are and the ministries that we get to do here. And then you see a line that goes to Nicaragua. You see a line that goes to Pakistan. You see a line that goes to Africa. You see a line that goes to Denmark. And you begin to understand that we are God's instruments making a real difference in the world. Spring Branch, you are making a difference in the world. People who, who are hungry are being fed because of you. People who are lost and lonely are being loved and educated because of you. People who think the church has just gone away forever are being encouraged by you. People locally who need help are being reached out to by you. You are the hope of the world, but there's a there that God wants to give us. And when we do this together, this week, when hundreds of you together pray and say, this is what I will do for three years. This is how it works out in our life with what God has given us. You'll be amazed at what God will do. You'll be amazed. And I've seen it happen before and I'm expectant about what God is going to do this week. Fall in love with God again. Fall in love with the church again. Fall in love with the future again. Get right behind where God is going because this is your story and it's his story. And your next move just might change everything. Okay, my favorite baseball story of all time. I love this story one more time around and then I won't tell it again until my funeral, okay? It's a beautiful day. It's a day like it was on Friday. It's a day like it was on Thursday when I went to Harbor Park. Just a beautiful, warm summer day. The sun is out, and I decide, got to go to a ball game. So I invite Gail's dad, Roy Rogers, by the way, uh, invite Gail's dad, Roy, to go to the game with me in Williamsburg to see Travis play up there the Walsingham Academy baseball team. So we go up there. It's a beautiful day to drive to Williamsburg. We get out there to the field. Somebody put a little wooden bench on the sideline by, by left field, uh, by right field rather, and we just sat on that bench about six feet away from, from the foul line, and we had peanuts, and we were eating peanuts and just having a great time. When all of a sudden I began to realize eating peanuts was the best part of the game so far because the game was terrible. They were dropping fly balls, easy things that little leaguers should, should be able to do. Baseballs were flying through the shortstop's leg. People were bumping into each other. They were almost trying to, to run the, the bases the wrong way. It was, it was tragedy. It was horrible. And, and so we just sat there wondering, is anything good going to come out of this game? When it got to be the last inning, and we were down one run. And so this is it. And uh, it's, it's the... It's our last chance. So guy gets up to bat and he grounds out. Second batter gets up and he pops out. Two outs. And then I look and who's walking to the plate but my son Travis. It comes down to Travis. And I'm just hoping and praying that you know we can just get that runner on and maybe something can happen because you never know what's going to happen in a baseball game. So there it happened. 
drives it up through the middle, base hit, he's on first base, and I look over to see who's coming up. Now the kid who's coming up, his name is Yusuke Bond, which is a great sports name. If he went to play in the majors, they would just call him Yusuke, like Ichiro. Just be Yusuke, Yusuke. Unfortunately, the kid has no athletic potential in his life. You know, he's just on the team because the team wanted to kind of make him feel better. So Yusuke is coming up. The best thing about his sports career is his name. So he gets up there and I'm thinking, oh man, God, if you can do anything right now, we just need a miracle right now for Yusuke. Uh, God decided to to remain neutral. So... So Yusuke's up there, and, and the first pitch comes in, and Travis, who didn't take after his father, so he's like really, really fast, first pitch comes in, strike one, and Travis steals second base. And the second pitch comes in, the Yusuke, strike two, and Travis steals third base. Now we got the tying run on third base. We got Yusuke. We need a miracle to happen somehow to make this whole day meaningful for me. <laughs> the pitcher winds up. I remember, it's almost like it goes, it's in slow motion. He winds up. He throws the pitch, Yusuke swings, strike three. Game's over. You know, I'm, I'm not a happy camper. I walk across the field. Travis walks toward me, and then he looks at me, and I look at him, and I'll never forget what he said next. He says, how much did we lose by, Dad? You're in the game. <laughs> You're playing baseball. When I went to Little League, I, was always, I knew the score. I always knew what I was supposed to do next. That's just the game. How much did we lose by, Dad? I said, he lost by one run. He should have stole home. And then he said this, if I only knew, I would have. If you only knew, you would have. What are you even talking about? You know, I want... I wanted to disown him at that point, like write him out of the will. Where does this kid come from? Oh, man. So, so then I start to think about it later. I go, okay, the pitcher winds up. He throws the pitch to Yusuke. Travis takes off from third base. He's running as fast as lightning. What would have happened? All of a sudden, I see in my mind, old men stand up and hold on to their hearts. I see women squeezing their babies a little bit tighter, whispering a prayer on their lips. I see children playing in the dirt suddenly stop and they look to see what this baseball player is doing. I see a slide, I see a cloud of dust and I don't know if he's safe or if he's out, I don't know, but it would be one heck of a finish to a baseball game. I could go home happy with that. You see, your next move Your next move with Here to There really does change everything. It changes our future. It changes what we do in missions. It changes what we do in ministry. We need to own this church. And God has said, I am going there. Will you trust me and get behind me? So when we get there, we're all there together. And you might not know right now how that's going to work. Howard Schultz said it. You can read it in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, but Howard Schultz even said it in Starbucks. There gets to be a point where you don't, you're not really sure, but you got to go. You got to make something happen. Your next move changes the church. It changes life. And your story somehow mysteriously becomes God's story. And faith and life come together because you're willing to go from here to there. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled that you would call us to help people all over the world. And, and we're humbled that you have called us to help people right in our own backyard to reach out in the name of Noah, a name that means comfort, to reach out and say, we're here. Today is not the day that you're going to be hungry. We're here. Today is not the day that you're going to be cold. We're here. We remember you. And we're here to be part of the hope that God wants to bring to your life. Father, I pray that as people listen and ponder and pray this week, that you will do incredibly above and beyond what we could hope or dream about. Father, take us from here to there and then take us to another there and take us to another there. May we never stop following you. May we walk with you like Noah walked with you. May that be the story of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take the time to really pray. And all I ask you to do is what God tells you to do. It's all you have to do, what he says to do. Look forward to seeing you next week. Please uh, mail in your decisions or just bring them next week. And we'll see what God has done in our hearts. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.